everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann, and I am talking to Doc Searles and Kyle Rankin. You probably know who Kyle Rankin is because he has been on the podcast several times, but if you don't, he is the CSO at Purism, which is a neato company that you should Google. Uh, maybe you should actually, no, you should duck that. It's funny. So we're going to talk about a few things. Kyle has some big ideas that I want to dive into. I'm really excited about that. But before we get started, I would like to remind everyone to visit our website at reality2cast.com. That is the number two where you can sign up for newsletters and find interesting links to interesting stuff. Uh, so yeah, and thank you for everyone who has contributed we have some coffee contributors and some Patreon contributors. And of course, everyone who emails us and, and sends us messages with feedback, we appreciate all of it. So thank you very much for listening and, and giving us that feedback. Um, so Kyle, let's talk about all, the, all these big ideas you have. So we, we, I reached out to, to Kyle because I wanted to talk about the metaverse because that's what everybody's talking about right now. But I thought we might bring a little bit of something different. I think we're all a little concerned probably on this call about Facebook or a Facebook taking such a lead on an idea like this. I think that's one, one topic, but uh, so let's talk about the, the metaverse for, in the non-Facebooky sense, perhaps. Yeah, well, so maybe we'll, when I, when I hear it, which I think most people do, and the reason they're calling it this is because of Snow Crash and everyone <laughs> who has read Snow Crash, who's in tech tends to just like they re-implement everything in Star Trek ultimately we sort of use this as design cues like google earth is clearly you know was inspired by snow crash and and they those engineers read snow crash and then re-implemented it and and uh, facebook clearly the reason they acquired oculus was to to build something similar to the virtual reality environment where everyone's sort of living in i mean the thing is it's supposed it's supposed to kind of be a dystopia <laughs> in a weird way you know i mean everyone in uh, living out of a utility storage shed, but with this elaborate universe that they're living in on their computer, where they have you know virtual property. We've all, uh, at least I think the three of us have, were around long enough to see other implementations of this, like Second like Life, Se Second Life, for instance, right? Yeah. Which, you know, for me, like as someone who read Snow Crash and someone who likes the idea of a cyberpunk, maybe utopia, maybe not dystopia, but Anyway, like I like the idea of having some sort of virtual environment. I mean, I already lived in that world in a text sort of way. So I'd like mm -hmm. the idea of having something like that exist. But for a while, it seemed like Second Life might be it. And at least it had design cues or cues for how it could look in the future. But yeah, so now um, Facebook is taking up that mantle, possibly even more inspired by the fact that everyone's at home now and, and working remotely. And they have probably have a direct need to have all of their employees who are working remotely do so in a virtual way or, you know, like a physical like way. But the thing that really jumped out at me when I was hearing about it was I, I happened to be hearing about their metaverse at the same time that people on my social media feeds were doing explainers on web. And I don't know how much you, you two have had people on here talking about that. So I don't know whether we bit. pause and explain it or, or not, I uh, guess. I think maybe a little bit. What, like what, I mean, or what do you mean when you talk about Web3? What, what do people generally mean? Well, the way it's been explained to me, how about that? So the way it's been explained oh, to me, at least, is essentially sort of like a combination of decentralized, a decentralized web that is powered in many ways or funded in many ways through blockchain. And so there are notions of people being able to provide resources on this web and perhaps be compensated for those resources via tokens of some kind. And that's usually, you know, underpowered by like some sort of blockchain. That's at least how it's been explained to me. I don't know if you have a better summary than that. Not really, but you know, we, ha we have actually, we had a recent episode about NFTs and, and the, the sort of potential in various arenas, really. And um, there's so many different things you can use this type of technology for. And I think this is an interesting example. Yeah. So when, when I hear a metaverse and I think snow crash, I mean, a lot of people focus more on the virtual reality 3d part of that where everyone's, you know, moving inside of a, a, a physical space, but their, their avatar is doing all this crazy stuff in, in this virtual space. And they focus on that part. But another part of it was the fact that in, in, at least in that, in that future, that every piece of information on the web was monetized. It didn't have, not necessarily, 
but the infrastructure in place in Snow Crash was one where if you put information on the web, unlike web 1.0, I suppose, where everyone just sort of freely shared information, right. like in Snow Crash, at least in the metaverse, all of that information had usually a price tag. Not necessarily you could give it away for free, but most people assign some sort of price tag. So if you happen to be at an event where you filmed something interesting happening and you would share that on this web in, in the metaverse and everyone who wanted to access that would have to pay you whatever you decided to charge for that information. And the main character hero protagonist in Snow Crash made much of his income that way. And he, he comments in particular about how he was lucky every now and then to have access to particularly valuable pieces of information that he could resell multiple times. And that's how he made a lot of the money that he lived on. So when I hear metaverse, I also think of that. And it just happened to be that when I hear last week that you know Facebook moving to the metaverse and that's been their focus and also see Web3 pop up um, in my feed a lot about people talking about that. To me, the metaverse, at least as far as Snow Crash, is a combination of those two things. And so maybe, maybe what we could talk about, or one thing we could possibly talk about, is how those two things collide. And is that, the, do we want the future that's described in Snow Crash? Because it seems like we have two different groups that probably don't think that they're on the same side. I imagine the people who are, who are gung ho about going with with Facebook's um, or Meta's metaverse are probably not the same group of people who are really heavily pushing for Web3. But, no, that's interesting. but those two groups are kind of, if you're pushing for at least the Snow Crash version of the metaverse, then both of those groups are partnering to build the same future, which is a web where most information probably, if you want to access it, um, probably defaults to having a price tag. And then if you're fortunate, someone decides that it's free, but then also one that does that while also being connected with virtual reality. Might be interesting also to talk about what does a price tag mean exactly? Because yeah. it can mean a lot of things. And if it's all- What are we exchanging? That would be another interesting thing, right? Because I mean, that's a lot of the conversation I'm hearing lately, and I'm not educated on this at all, is that the future is going to be all cryptocurrency. In a future where we have the metaverse, we're probably all going to have cryptocurrencies as well. And, you know, the that, fiat currency will not be the predominant currency of that. But I don't know. I mean, it's very hard to imagine not having fiat currency. And uh, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that, Kale? I don't want to like... I mean, I see... Sideways, because I don't really know. Well, I mean, I see it at least in terms of of, of a metaverse as being like, um, like in-app purchases in a game or something, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know... You, I mean, there's been other examples of this too. We're not necessarily breaking new ground there. When you talk about, you know, like EverQuest or pretty much any MMORPG where people have currencies, in-game currencies that have value within the game and only have value within the game. And this, the difference now is the game is one that is, is the game that Facebook made and but is, is selling it as something that everyone's going to be partnering in on and everything. But at least in their game, you know, they're, they will be choosing the currency. Now, is it going to be Facebook's coin or whatever they called, mm -hmm. you know, remember they had a drive mm -hmm. for a while to, to do their own currency. Maybe this is part of that grand vision, but you know, will in, in the metaverse, will they control the, choose the currency that's used um, or whatever the store of value is that you, the token, just like you're going to an arcade, the token that you use in that arcade, that's shaped like a quarter, but isn't a quarter and doesn't work outside of that arcade. I mean, that depends on how interoperable the metaverse becomes, right? I mean, it seems to me that if Facebook has the vision and the goal and the means, they'll edge every everyone else out and will become it. They, they will control the entire thing. I mean, is that, is that, um, does that seem likely to you? Well, so I see the same week that they announced that Microsoft more recently said, uh, mm. us too kind of thing where they- Yeah, teams. <laughs> yeah, they announced, no, we've- we've already been planning to do this in teams and fine, I guess we have to release this demo quickly. You know, I, I imagine the announcement mm -hmm. happened last week. Then all the people on the, in Microsoft teams that were working on this, this feature who are probably further ahead, I would imagine than than Facebook is on this, you know, like rushed out a release say, no, no, we've been working on this too. Don't, you know, go mm -hmm. all over into, into this. So um, at least those two, 
will be doing this. The question is how many other people will be jumping on board and whether, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that Facebook necessarily has a good track record on um, having open standards that other people follow that are freely shared. I mean, they, they own three chat clients that don't interoperate with each other, you know? Yeah. Um, and they had, they've put, put a post in the ground and said that they want to try to get them to interoperate, but that was a, a year or two back. And so, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. So Doc uh, in the in the back channel just mentioned something called Hopin. So Hopin is a, a an events platform. It's actually it's not bad. DrupalCon has used Hopin. Really, I've the last seen it. yeah. I hardly heard yeah. about it actually. I, I heard about it only because it grew from six employees to hundred during the pandemic and a multi billion dollar valuation. So it obviously is not an open source thing. I guess no. it's, a, it's just yet another. Um, uh, it's a, it's a zoom of some sort, I guess, but it's, it's interesting uh, because there, there has long been this idea of virtual trade shows, virtual events, virtual exhibitions, that kind of thing that never really came to fruition in any significant way because people could still travel, <laughs> but then all of a sudden, boom, there's a pandemic and the innovation in that area has been incredible. I mean, so like the company that I work for has put on events and just looking at the, the interface and how it's how it 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 works as a as a participant is just kind of I don't know. I mean the progress that was made in that is impressive. That said, you know, it's a far cry from the the metaverse that we're fantasizing about and the way that Facebook meta, whatever is putting it out there. But I don't know, like this teams thing is interesting because do, do we really yeah, Microsoft Teams. So they put out a demo where basically, so so for this call, for example, we're on a Zoom call right now. So I could, if I look like crap today, which probably I do, I could flip a little switch. And instead of you seeing me, you wouldn't see me anymore. You would see this sort of animated, not very realistic, kind of cartoonish, or at least that's the current state, version of me that I've put up. I've made my little avatar and and, and it will have some expressions and and uh, follow along with my voice. And, and I think the idea is that it would learn me over time. And that's what you would see. You wouldn't see me, you would see cartoon me. And, but y'all could still be on video or not, or you know, there, it would just be an, yet another option. You turn your video off or, or you, could, you could put the cartoon version of you. I wonder how valuable that is. Is is that valuable? Like, I I don't know about y'all, but I do a lot of I do a lot of meetings with people who are I guess like minded and just we just we we do it like a call. We leave our video off unless there's a particular reason. Um, you know, we don't we don't have the video for this. We typically leave the video on because I think it's fun to have the video on because we we enjoy interacting in that way. And I just wonder what what value this other thing brings. I I think that there is a. A, a size, a number of attendee limit where video is useful. I think definitely a one-on-one -on, one -on -one meeting with someone that you're doing virtually mm -hmm. instead of physically what you normally would do physically can sometimes benefit because you can kind of pick up on the nonverbal cues uh, sometimes on video, although still not as well as in person. Uh, three people, four people maybe, but I think when you start getting into anything resembling like a big, a big meeting, then it, I don't know that there's as much value in it. In fact, so for, for us, so like, for example, at Purism, we're a fully remote company um, and we always have been. So we always, have, we sort of built from the ground up to have tools that help us work remotely. And we, when we do large group meetings, it's all audio only. In fact, we use Mumble for it, uh, which is normally used for sort of team speak video game type stuff, I guess. But uh, we found it very useful in particular, for example, our all hands meetings are done that way, not video, because there's no, not necessarily a need to see, because that's a one-to-many, it's like a broadcast, you know? Mm -hmm. And so audio just makes more sense. And so, but, but it scales really well in a way that most video chats, there's a certain upper limit where it starts to be painful to have everyone's video on, say 50 people in a meeting, 100 people in a meeting, um, where with audio, it works better, but that was, you're more talking about avatar. I mean, I see, I think having an avatar is, I guess it's, it's nice for people that don't want to have their video on, but it also, when you think about all the privacy stuff mm. that it means you have to do. It, Did I just change your, your screen, by the way? You, you just changed that, the, the whole thing. So I'm, you know. I didn't know that that was just, wasn't just for me. very cool. So, so for the people <laughs> watching their radios. Um, Sorry, I just did a we thing. Now, <laughs> we're now at a, three of us at a virtual reception desk at a city 
you know, you can see out the window and it looks like a very corporate setting. Um, but, uh, but we're here, you know, I, I look like the one who's actually here, um, uh, because I, I seem to have my background erased, which is, Oh, good. this is really weird. And, uh, but, oh, now how, here we are, the dead people on the wall in the lobby. Yeah. Only we're animated. Sorry, for, for those of us who do not have video, like everyone listening, I'm playing with the Zoom feature that says immersive view that I had not actually noticed until just now. And I started playing yeah. with it during this we recording. Changed, but our <laughs> setting has changed. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, now we're well, back. This one's kind of fun. That is kind of fun. It's well, kind of, it's interesting because we're, we're all, you know, all of these play with what are the cliche backgrounds? You know, what, what is the cliche setting? when in fact we're in a whole new world now where we can break up entirely new environments that don't have to be cliches right that's a that's a that's an interesting thing i i, I want to go back to microsoft teams for a minute because i was in a conversation this morning with a friend who i'll leave nameless because i he works he's worked for nothing but giant companies in tech always is like a pretty high ranking but not all the way up guy because he likes not being at the top he actually likes being able to to be the second or third level down and get more stuff done, which is interesting. And he said, Microsoft, Microsoft is a hot shit company right now. It's getting more hot shit than, and some of it has to do with, they're really embraced open source, but they're doing it in a way that we probably wouldn't like, which is that coming from where we tend to come from, which is um, they're gonna rate it for everything they can to build their proprietary services on top of it. But they are contributing code. They're very involved. But at the same time, like Teams is hardly an open source product. But and so same with Exchange. I've just a horror show, by the way, about Exchange. There we are. We're on a ski lift right now. Um, <laughs> it's so, Zoom, so weird. With Zoom on the crossbar. Yeah. And again, I look. I look. Well, you and I, Catherine, look like I look like I've head. slumped to the bottom. It, it doesn't understand Kyle well enough to drop out his background. That's the. <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Uh, but my, my point about this though, is that apparently Microsoft has some kind of enterprise corporate mojo going right now, partly because they decided they are going to be an enterprise company and, and they can go after some of the big ones like Salesforce and Oracle and stuff like that, right? And Teams is part of it. Teams is, and everybody hates Teams. I mean, I, you look up Teams online, I'm looking at it here, a sincere letter to the Microsoft Teams team Microsoft Teams, why does this suck so much? The horror of Microsoft Teams, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why is it so bad? So clearly Teams has issues, but I'm, I'm just sharing that because it's it, it, that's an interesting thing to me. Well, another player that we haven't talked about yet that's going to be big in the space probably is Apple. They're going at it in an augmented reality way instead. Uh, but I think mostly just like with everything else, you don't hear, they, they will un downplay anything that someone else is doing until they have a product out that does it. And then mm -hmm. it's super important once they have a product out, but before that, no one cares, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, but they clearly are, they, I mean, there's been news stories about how they're working on some sort of augmented reality thing. And I can imagine them also creating a virtual walled garden with augmented reality. Right. And so if you have all of their products, it'll be interoperable with their products. And maybe if you're imagine using their version of a VR headset, where just like an iPhone, where in iMessage, where if you're using an Apple product, you get a you know you have your chats are a certain color, and you can identify the people who mm. don't have an Apple product, right? I mean, I, I could see the same thing happening with your avatar on Apple's metaverse. Now the mm. question is, so yeah, I I don't think that this idea that we're going to have a single metaverse, going back to that, will will actually happen. I think what we'll have is a bunch of little little islands like we already have because people have mm -hmm. we've already shown that we can't do it when it's easier um in the case <laughs> of chat you know text chat is yeah. the easiest thing possible to enter to implement and to be cross um, platform compatible with and if these big companies can't manage to make their chat interoperate with their competitors chat much less free software chat um then there's no reason to expect that they will do the same thing for a virtual reality environment where there's three 3D rendering and all of the complexity that's involved there. It just won't happen. So what you'll have is you'll have, everyone wants to have the first mover, just like we don't with video chat, right? There's how many different video chat companies now that are all trying to get in on the pandemic business model. 
uh, and they don't inter interoperate with each other. I can't use my Zoom client to connect to a Microsoft Teams meeting, for instance, uh, right. or vice versa or anything else, right? And I don't believe, I have no reason to think that the metaverse will be any different. In fact, I have reason to think it will be worse because it's way more complicated to right. make it interoperable. Yeah. Each place will be a destination and, and, and you know, you can't yeah. go to Disney World and Universal at the same time. Yeah, the, there's a, so somebody who has, I maybe mentioned this before, but somebody I know um, who's plugged into both Apple and Facebook somehow said that what Apple's working on is, is basically they're, you're not gonna hear anything from them until they have the 8K or 16K wall. In other words, you, you get this wall for your house. I mean, it's it's a big, big, big screen that lets you not just be entertained by it, but you're going to attend things looking at it. And with your, they're, they're right now they have this $600 headset that uh, that is 3D. It's big. They're very big on Dolby Atmos. Dolby Atmos is the new way to have, and they're doing a lot of recordings with this, that that when you record something on your, on your, you know, iPhone 14, it's going to have, you know, the mics for Dolby Atmos completely surround. You'll have, um, do you remember binaural sound? The whole idea behind, behind binaural sound is kind of like that, where you have the with like binaural sound, you have a micro, two microphones on a head, on a, on a bust, like a head, and it's recording what your head would hear. And when you play it back and you're listening on headphones, you get the 360 degree sense of being there but this is going to have like multiple speakers and you buy a bunch of home pods your apple little home pods which are going to be like 90 bucks or something and you scatter them around and they're going to give you a soundscape or you wear the special headphones and they're going to those will give you the soundscape and but it's a wall and a soundscape basically that's going to be the thing and the soundscape is going to be dolby atmos and the wall is going to be 8 or 16k and uh, one of the, re you know, they're, then they're not going to do a screen. They're not going to do anything like that until somebody has the big screen that does that. So I don't know if that's, I mean, that's not, that's not the metaverse, but it's the kind of thing Apple would do. They're going to be tied in with Disney and all those guys. I wonder what, the, what somebody's going to do about those of us who can't handle any kind of <laughs> virtual reality. I feel like I'm going to get left behind. I can, I can play, what is it? Beat Saber. I can play that for about maybe five minutes. Then I have to yeah. take it off. Can't do it anymore. Am so, I just left behind in all of this fun? I don't know. So have you looked into what, um, and I, I, I know you've got, uh, Catherine, you've got a proper Linux machine there, but you also have Macs. And supposedly I was told today actually that Apple's giving very generous trade-ins on, on, uh, on Macs because they want you to get the new M1 Macs. They want to, they want to flush the old, the older ones out of the market, which is, I'm using one of those here now. And I haven't looked at what they'll give me for this one. But I, I actually looked at what generous. the, I got a new yeah. one last year that was very expensive. It's very high end. It's pretty, it's not fully loaded, but it's pretty nicely, uh, equipped as they say um uh, i'm sorry i'm gonna make you feel bad for getting that <laughs> no no I, I but there were reasons i got it last year instead of you know waiting yeah. but um and i actually looked and see, to see i was curious so like what what would it cost me to to uh, what would they give me for this to to trade up to the brand new one not near like not nearly enough i mean it was it was so low it was insane mm. so yeah that was not uh, a viable option. Yeah, I have too many, too many uh, machines. <laughs> I uh, I like to uh, use a lot of different you, stuff. You do have apparently. a Libram there of some sort. I right? do. I have a Libram fifteen. Hmm. I, I do different things on different machines. That's that's uh, a thing. Well, we worked. We hardly talked about Facebook, and we we're going to do that. I, I shared some stuff there. There are people starting to doubt whether they can even do what they're talking about. Uh, which, uh, I, I've been of that, I've been of that belief for a long time. The metaverse is like a, a giant red herring. It's a giant misdirect away from all of the problems that they actually have. And you touched on that a bit with, with the, with your point, uh, Kyle, that, you know, they have right now, they have three different chat systems that don't get along. So this is Nalay Patel of the Verge saying Facebook is trying to pivot away from his Facebook problems, which is a content moderation at scale problem. 
it might well be unsolvable. And I've had that belief for a long time. I don't think you could do content moderation at scale. I don't think anybody can. You know, it's easier just to turn people off. I don't like them, just turn them off because it's, it's really, really hard. You can't tell what's bad. And then there's, you know, what the Wall Street Journal said years ago that they're paying. In fact, I think he said something like this. They have 40,000 people or some crazy number of people doing content moderation, which is, as the journal put it, looking at human depravity and saying what's good and what's bad, right? What's allowable yeah, it's, and what's not. It's, it's completely, it's, it's unethical. I would, I would argue it gets to the point of almost being unethical, uh, which is, I mean, that's one of the reasons why when we were looking at how we're going to handle with Librem One, one of my vision, like a vision I had for, for the way that we would do a social network is moving all of that moderation ability into the individual. Yeah, so they yeah. would have way more moderation tools, they, they and their peers. Because I think the only way that you could scale something like moderation is to give you and your peers, all of you who yeah. have similar sensibilities of what you like and don't like and what you what offends you and doesn't offend you and all of that, um, have all of that be in your hands so you curate your own feed based on that. But that would then remove the power from the social media company to curate your feed, which if you're driven by ads, you can't do. You have to be able to sort of inject those things into your feed and get to know you so they can do that. Um, but to me, the, yeah, to me, the, the way that that scales is to not try to scale it from the top down, but to have individuals right. have more and more power to, to decide that sort of thing themselves. I totally agree with that. I think that's a, I think that's the way things ought to work. It's just very hard to trust that if you're, especially if you can't see how it works. I mean, if you don't have a centralized view of who are the smart people who are moderating well here and what are they doing? I suppose. I suppose the ways you could get a group to advertise what they're doing, I suppose. I mean, the way that the way that I proposed doing it is was as simple as having individual have giving you the ability to add a hashtag to someone else's post that mm. only you can see. So you oh. just like you tag whatever else, you can add a hashtag to someone else's post. They can't see it because otherwise it, it would be graffiti, right? Because then if everyone in your feed could add stuff to your post, you wouldn't want to see it. But you start by saying, oh, that person's writing something that I'm interested in on Drupal, but they didn't tag it hashtag Drupal. I'm going to go ahead and add that hashtag so I can have all of the, so I can sort of curate my feed to all the things that I'm interested in. I'm interested in Drupal. I will tag that for them. Mm -hmm. Then someone else could say, oh, that's really handy. They're really good about tagging all of the feeds that they like that are about Drupal, Drupal, hashtag Drupal. I'm going to... I'm going to um, turn on the setting that allows their hashtags to be visible to me so that then I can add my filter rules to prioritize things that are about Drupal or whatever. So that's, that's the positive sense of this. You can add hashtags to things and then see, curate your feed based on the things you want to see based on you and your peers who you trust, their ability to tag things. Now, from the negative sense, same sort of thing. If someone says um, something is racist or something is whatever their sensibility is that they want to block, they can add those hashtags too. This is hate speech, whatever it is. They can add those hashtags for their own feed if they see something that's not already tagged. And then anyone else who has the same sensibilities, who trusts their taste and their sense and their um, you know their level of offense for things, can can follow their tags and get the same benefit. So you may you may have just a couple of people who are really good at tagging in the um, posts as being a certain way, then you can also have thresholds that way and say, you know, I don't want to, if someone gets tagged by this person too many times, I don't want to see them, that sort of thing, like the blocks. Basically, you allow your peer group to help determine what you see and you can choose who you want to follow, just like I can decide if I want to see your retweets or not. Um, you know, if I choose, if, if I, if I like your retweets, then I follow them. If I don't, then I can choose not to. And the same thing with tagging. You may default in, in the challenge is what do you default to? But anyway, that's mm -hmm. an idea I had a while, like a couple of years ago when we first started Librem um, Social as a way, because I didn't think it was, I didn't feel good about hiring people whose job it was to look at the worst that the Mastodon universe could create that then have to decide how, if it's too bad or not. You know, I felt like that mm -hmm. was, I would much rather give individuals that ability. And that was the only way I could think of to allow that is because then that way you can create, you can filter on hashtag very easily in Mastodon. And so you could say, I don't want to see anything that's hashtag hate speech, for instance. 
and mm -hmm. then it would be blocked and either things that you put tag yourself or things that your peers tag would all just automatically disappear from your feed. I can see the benefits and I can see a lot of downsides. I think it's, yeah. but it's, 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 it's an interesting start to something that's different from the way that it works now, which is the nice part. Well, it's also different in the sense that at least the way that we're doing it, you're the feed that you, you only see the people you follow anyway. Mm -hmm. So right. you're not seeing posts from someone that you didn't explicitly opt into seeing. So there's nothing in your feed that you didn't opt in, into to right. begin no, with. No so promoted content. Exactly. So you're only seeing that. And then anything beyond that is someone from the outside who's contributing who comments. So then you have to deal with how do you deal with poor commenters? And then that's, this is a way to, to sort of handle that sort of thing, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, I remember actually having that conversation with you. It was, yeah, I mean, it is interesting, actually. It's especially interesting now looking back, you know, and to see how things are today versus two years ago, which is uh, yeah, interesting. But you did mention something that I didn't want to forget, and that is Facebook deleting their or not no longer using, are they deleting it or no longer using the facial recognition? They announced that they would be deleting that they, the database of like 2 billion or however many, you know, faces that they were tracking in a book of some kind, a Facebook, if you were, Face. uh, <laughs> uh, that tracked all these faces. Uh, yeah. I mean, so that was, that was the rare case where I see privacy news about big tech that seemed positive. And yeah. I'm so, I'm so, and you're like, oh, do you trust that. it? <laughs> exactly. You're so, that you're like, well, where's the, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, there's been a lot of people that have you know, been saying their opinions about it one way or the other, where from the far ranging, fully cynical, they're not deleting it. They're lying kind of thing mm -hmm. to the, to the, the other end would be, yay, they're finally doing something good. And then something in between would be something like, well, they're doing this to distract from all of their exactly. Other this right? is just PR. Like, to yeah. me, the way that I read it is maybe the timing had to do with that. But to me, it, it reads, I started thinking about what do I really feel about this? One, I was just, that's great. I'm glad that you're doing that. Maybe other, hopefully everyone else will do it because I think data is toxic and I want people to delete as much data as possible. And if you mm -hmm. don't, it is, um, but I, my read on it is it's sort of like someone um, going through their closet and throwing away the stuff that no longer fits. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's sort of my read on it is I, I, I do doubt some of the altruistic um, reasons behind it. I think it has more to do with this is something they could get good news about, but they also are throwing away something they don't need. Yeah, I, I just mm -hmm. see it as, you know, it going moving forward into the VR metaverse type stuff that they're working on. I think that they needed to make a bold move like this in order to gain trust so that people would trust wide adoption of something like, you know, going all in on an immersive environment, you know, means letting Facebook more into your life. And so to me, I mean, I wouldn't look at it, I would look at it as a PR thing, but maybe not necessarily in such a cynical, like, oh, well, this is just a distraction. I think it's just a necessary step in, in making this clear to people like, okay, well, we're not going to do this anymore. We learned that lesson. Now come join us on this new path we're taking. But I mean, that's the, that's the, the that's their message that they're saying. But to me, I, I read it more as they don't need it. They don't need that database anymore because they have something better that they're going to uh, do. I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 They have something better in the metaverse, which is full on face tracking. So one, they know your identity. Body, full body tracking, probably. Yeah. So they, they know who you are because they need to know who you are uh, to sign into this sort of thing, right? There, there's not going to, I doubt there's going to be anonymity in the metaverse, in their metaverse, right? Just like there's not really anonymity in Facebook. You kind of assign yourself an identity that's supposed to be linked to you as a person. Mm -hmm. um, but also all of the features that they're describing require things like face tracking so they can see your facial expressions and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, and build, build maps it, it, of your face. If you want to have like, there's been precursors to this with everyone, like having a bunny face on their face and all of that stuff, right? right. That's face tracking. I mean, this is that only in three dimensions so that you can do your, your avatar isn't your actual face, but a projection of whatever you want your avatar to be that has facial expressions, right? Well, to do that, they have to do face tracking and to do that, they need to build some sort of a map of your face and store it in some kind of, let's just call it a book. Of <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. A face map book. A, a face 
book if if you were would um but yeah i mean they how else will you so they have to store that you can call it whatever you want it's not maybe it's not an actual picture of your face that's now being stored although it probably will be if someone wants to have a three-dimensional map of their face now go over their avatar mm -hmm. right which a lot of people will i mean some people will want someone else's face on there but if you want to use your own face in your avatar you'll have to scan it and tag it and that mm -hmm. sort of thing right interesting yeah hmm. so yeah i just don't, i mm -hmm. think they don't need it anymore I, I think it's it's no longer a value they're, they're clearly the value of saying they're deleting it is higher than the value of still having yeah. it and so that's yeah. yeah it's probably it's probably spot on <laughs> yeah i like it Hmm. And none of this matters to me because, of course, I can't participate in the metaverse because I'll throw up. So <laughs> I guess I don't have to worry too much about what's going to be collected since I don't get to play. <laughs> Until there's some sort of meeting that you have to be on, you know, like that, that's that's the problem with these yeah. sorts of things is that it's as, as someone who also in general chooses not to participate in a lot of the things that I don't agree with the you know, privacy implications or whatever behind, there's still areas where it's really challenging. You can't completely opt out, not mm -hmm. easily, at least once society adopts certain things, you know, there's a baked in assumption yeah. that you will have two things. You, one, you'll have a smartphone and two, you'll have internet access. And if you don't have those things, there's certain, it, certain things are challenging, but I'm sure a lot of people listening would just think it's unthinkable to live without the internet in the modern day, but all that to say the challenge with these, with things like the metaverse is, is not when it gets started and people are using it as a cool toy or whatever, or a way, to, or you have to join, use it if you work at a company that uses it for their meetings, which is the other thing. Right. Um, but if it starts becoming in fundamental in society, like the internet did, you know, like the internet has, if the metaverse does become the future of the internet and you have to have a token to access certain types of information and you have to be part of a platform to to meet certain people to accomplish certain things that's you know that's going to be challenging you may not be able to opt out to do certain things yeah. i wonder what the accessibility issues will be with this like for example i'm thinking in a workplace you would have to accommodate people under the ada and i would imagine that there are people who just wouldn't be able to participate in you know in, in a in a in a VR meeting or something for, for a lot, I can think of a lot of reasons, the health related why, why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, I wonder how that, how that evolves. Like, I how mean, do you the, make something like that accessible? I mean, on, on, the flip certain... side, on the flip side, I guess you could argue in some cases, people with certain, certain disabilities, it could perhaps make it easier. To yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. There are certain, right. certain where, ways where it would actually be extra accommodation but at the same time i can see there being i i don't know enough about it but there are certain conditions where i could see it being a problem and then you have people like me who would just puke in the meeting i mean just just as something as, as simple as someone who's visually impaired where yes. if you're using a computer now there are reasonable accessibility tools for people screen readers and all of that sort of thing where you can use a modern computer if it had, if you're using something that has reasonable accessibility tools, um, and get things done, but I, I doubt that a VR headset's going to, you know, take all of that into account. Yeah. Well, there could be a, uh, an audio track or something, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is a, this is a question for, for our future episode. I think I need to contact an accessibility expert who has some expertise in accessibility for VR. Yeah. There are a lot of questions. I have, I have many, many questions. Yeah. Um, huh. Interesting. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I've, I've got a, I'm going to call him a friend, but a guy I know somewhat well, who is now he's a, he's a quadriplegic. He uh, broke his neck and, but I'm thinking hmm, for him and for people like him, what a metaverse where you can actually, you know, reambulate, you can have a complete self again. That's sort of like, that's, I mean, it could be that there would be frontiers of accessibility in the virtual world that aren't possible in a physical one. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that was what Second Life was already anyway, but I mean, it's, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering to what extent thoughts going into that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, a lot of this ground was already broken in Second yeah. Life. And I, I don't necessarily think you need, you know, have to have a high-end graphics processor with all of this stuff to get a similar enough effect. Because a lot of it was already sort of in place with Second Life. It's just they, based on, you know, a long story with their architecture, had had trouble upgrading their graphics to meet modern sensibilities of what gaming graphics are supposed to look like. But in the meantime, they still built this world that a lot of people got a lot of value in, in a currency that people were, were mm -hmm. making, you know, making there are people making a living in there, converting Linden mm -hmm. bucks into, into dollars mm -hmm. or whatever on the side and selling, selling real estate and all of that. So, but then again, you can look at it now. It's sort of like when Facebook took over from all the other social networks that preceded it and everyone's saying, well, this going to, you know, eventually it will be the, it'll be the next, um, Friendster or whatever, right? Um, and I guess now we're sort of seeing that maybe if they move over to the metaverse, but then the question is, well, are they going to be the next Second Life? Where, yeah. you know, you have a lot of people who invest, I mean, think about all the people and all the time, the, the many, many, many hours that many people invested in yeah. Second Life, building worlds, building real estate, creating a, like real estate businesses, uh, clothing businesses and everything else that went on in that world. It was massive. I mean, it was- yeah. It was a huge. We thing. speak about it in the past tense. Is it still? I think it's still going on. It's still, it's still going, going on, on, isn't it? I mean, it's not a big world, but they're there. I'm just looking up Second Life Fashions. There's a lot of stuff now. I don't know whether how old it is, but I mentioned for, you know, are, are there similar fashions for any other place? I mean, if you're going to be a fashion designer that's going to do dress up an avatar, you know, um, I imagine. I played uh, with it a little bit back when. Remember when Bill. A uh, oh, Linux yeah. Journal author, Bill was Bill's uh, Second Life avatar was on the cover of a Linux Journal. Yeah, I played with it a, li a little bit back then because I was just you know I was curious. It is it's it is kind of a fascinating world. I never got super into it because, well, frankly, I can only look at that type of screen for so long. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are you can buy clothes. I, I I bought clothes. I you know I. I played with building things i could see getting kind of lost in something like that if it were if it were um more realistic yeah i mean i dabbled in that sort of thing around that same sort of time like it, basically in its heyday and then i would i would find myself going in poking around walking around and it was sort of like it reminded me a lot of going to a comp like a big conference where i didn't know anybody mm -hmm. and didn't run into anybody i knew in the halls so you have a lot of people that are all in the same place, yeah. but unless you're extroverted enough to make friends wherever you go, then you're just sort of in a crowd walking around and not sure what to do. And I sort of had that sense a lot of time. Yeah, I had a little um, bit of that. I, I also, this is really funny, but I just remembered something that I did. I would go around to all the sort of like Linuxy. There were, I don't remember how it worked, but there were um, like, areas yeah there, there were stuff, yeah. little worlds in within the thing and i would find all the linux related ones and i would drop virtual copies of linux journal with a little cover it was like a little mm -hmm. i would literally yeah. litter the second life with copies of a virtual linux journal and and that's and some people would chat me up about it and it was it was kind of fun um but yeah that's that's that was about the extent of my experience well, I mean, the the other thing that Second Life, at least, that that extended its its lifespan from a business standpoint for people was the sex trade. Uh, they had there was like a whole other area of that where if you moved past the default worlds and into the the adults only worlds, mm -hmm. there there was apparently all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, in, in things the that would translate into the real world or things that were virtual only. I don't know all the details actually, but mm -hmm. I. It, at the very least, things that were only trans that at least were um, virtual to begin with. I don't mm. know how much of it translated into into the physical world or how much of it stayed virtual. I suspect any future metaverse will have the same sort of thing go on. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I know. I know that. I mean, that's one of the commentaries. If you see people talking about Second Life. They would say, you know, the, how do you make money in Second Life? Well, I guess you could you, either real estate, selling clothes, or the sex trade. Virtual that, prostitution. 
Yeah, virtual prostitution was one of the one of the big money makers in Second Life. Wow, I don't think I realized that. I do remember actually going to like adults only areas of Second Life and kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of funny. And but I I guess I didn't you know I didn't I didn't stay long enough to learn. That was probably the biggest part of Second Life. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. In Metaverse will be a similar thing, I imagine. There's going to be it. It has to be. Yeah, unless they somehow shut that down, then yeah, it's going to be you know that's going to be another big part of that it's that know, musical the song the internet is for porn I mean, yeah that was for, way right? back yeah, yeah the internet is for porn for, for porn. porn yeah the, yeah, the, that's the, what it's for. the creature so, that was a it was a cartoony thing with a, a guy with mm-hmm. the internet is a wonderful thing and this guy says for porn um take <laughs> a look I, I i i just stuck this in the chat and of course people listening can't see it but just look it up look up uh, ethan zuckerman uh, uh, Z-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-N, um, Zuckerman, actually. Um, he, he had a piece in the Atlantic that got a lot of notice called, Hey, Facebook, I made a metaverse 27 years ago. And then the oh, subtitle was, it was terrible then and it's terrible now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and it, he's, he was a real pioneering guy. I, he was a colleague of mine uh, when I was at the Berkman Klein Center. And, uh, you know, he was there and he was at MIT and now he's at UMass Amherst. There's a great podcast, by the way, called Reimagining the Internet. And uh, uh, but anyway, he it's a really good piece because and he sort of visits all the problems with it. You know, his big problem with it was was how lame it was that I mean, what 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 Zuck showed was really, you know, hey, here's a here's a kind of a, a facsimile of me. So what we've seen this before and here are these floating entities trying to play a card game in an office or something like it's real cliche-ish stuff that's been done before and not very interesting you know and that but that's what he showed off but he's got more money than god so who knows what he's going to do with it right well i'm I'm going to make a prediction that the most successful platform for this because i don't think there there's not going to be a single metaverse i right i know there's no way that proprietary it's going to be proprietary the one that um I, I suspect the one that embraces porn. Uh, essentially, the sex trade will probably be the one that that blossoms the most because that'll be one of the prime because it'll be a yeah. place for doing business. Yep, yep. I think that's going to be it, and um, especially if they have a way that people can pay for it anonymously. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be on their credit card. If they could do it that way, with a token be, of some kind, with token, a token of some sort. Yeah. You know. Something that's not traceable back to, to parents or spouses, you know. Yep. That's the, that's the, they they got that worked out. There it is. And you know? and here's the interesting thing. I doubt that people will trust Facebook to say that they have anonymity, and don't track what people do. Oh, and, absolutely. No, right. So that'll be a major hill that they Facebook would have is, to climb. So yeah, if someone comes in and distressed. says, yeah. "Yeah," so if someone has a metaverse that is anonymous that allows anonymous exchanges of money, then that will be yeah. to their advantage. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's, uh, that's what it'll be. I, th- I, I agree with that. And I think, I mean, it, I mean, the, the game world is all proprietary, right? It's all isolated. You're in this one or that one or that one. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of, there's not like a single game world that all the different games work in, like what the internet does. You know, they may use the internet, but they're, they tend to be proprietary and closed on the whole. And the metaverse is probably going to be just the same way. Yeah. Or the metaverses, the metaversi. So basically <laughs> Meta is going to take all of this mass the massive financial success of Facebook and build out a yeah. porn site. There's not a lot of evidence that having all the resources in the world means you're gonna make exactly the thing, you know, that's gonna Oh no, certainly not. Kick ass. I mean Well, especially um, since they're having a hiring problem, you know. I mean they have that's the other thing yeah. with a lot of these large companies. People will, you often will hear people say, well, if I don't do this and someone else will kind of thing, or, you know, like, it, mm-hmm. like, like the tech decisions are inevitable and someone's going to build the thing. But if, but if you have enough people that aren't in, if, if you, you see this in tech companies like Uber, for instance, when Uber had the, the height of their reputation problem, they were scrambling, trying to get people to work there. And if you can't hire enough tech, tech workers to do a thing, you can't do the thing. thing. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I've, I've, everything I see about Facebook lately is that they're having a really hard time hiring people, which is interesting. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's surprising exactly, but apparently it's pretty significant. It's more significant even than I would have thought, um, which is interesting. I mean, that, well, there's a, a couple of reasons that people will often join a, a large tech company. You know, one of them, among other, I mean, usually once you get, once you're a large tech company, you, you compensate to make up for, you know, whatever other negative things might be as a result yeah. of the job there, right? And the other thing is you'll have opportunities there because of scale that you may not have somewhere else. But the other thing is some people will join a big, a large tech company because they want to have that on their resume. Right. And Facebook is now a negative. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of people, people who have that factor, that's the main reason that they want to work for a large company besides maybe more pay is to point to that later for the resume. Um, now that's a negative, right? And so yeah. people are yeah, like, why did you know what was going on at Facebook? Well, especially kind of it was sort of like joining, like, for example, joining Uber at that particular time period where there's a time period where you could say, well, I didn't know what was going mm -hmm. on. And then there's a time period after that, that if you joined, you're like, well, you clearly knew it was in yeah. the news everywhere and you joined right. anyway, kind of thing. Yeah. And now there's the Facebook papers and yeah. it puts them in a weird, weird position. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I guess it will, it will be more difficult to build something cutting edge without people who can work on cutting edge tech. Yeah. I mean, Uber, Uber found that that's why they end up closing down. There's one of the reasons they're self-driving car division, right. Is they started mm -hmm. having this massive brain drain where people who were moving to all the competitors because it yeah. was no longer, a, you know, positive place. Interesting. Well, I guess we will we will see how that shakes out. But I like your your ideas, Kyle. Though I think I think yeah. those those worlds are more aligned than they realize, and I think that was that was the original thought. And that that'll be interesting to see the those worlds either come together or or not. And if not, then then what happens? So yeah, interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, for 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 coming on and, and having this talk and uh, thank you everyone for listening this far and, and listening to our our pontification about uh, the the new the new uh, meta world that we may find ourselves in. Thank you and until next time. <laughs>